Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our Berean Bible Church podcast. This is the continuation of our Investigating Jesus series from our Green Campus. Here's Ron Miller. Mother's Day. Uh, so glad that you're here this morning on this special day, and I hope you're able to take time today to thank God for the women who have impacted you in your life. Uh, maybe, a, maybe a physical mother or an adoptive mother, maybe a spiritual mother. Uh, maybe just some of the deep influencers that you've had, and I hope you can connect with them if possible. And it's so great to have a day we can celebrate the uh, the mothers of our life. Um, I had a privilege of having a great mother uh, who really helped me become who I am. And uh, I'm just going to shift over here um, and knock over my water. So we're just just privileged as people to have life. And that starts with mom. Uh, my mom helped me grow up. And, and I had a bunch of other people that influenced my life too. So I want to welcome those joining us online. And if my mom's able to watch, hi mom. Uh, but, but I just want to think a second about some of the people that influenced me. We're investigating Jesus. We're being influenced by the person of Jesus. And, and our family would go to Bible conferences every summer. And uh, I grew up in that, in that atmosphere, learning from other people. Um, maybe for you it was a coach or a teacher or a um, uh, parent, maybe a pastor. And, and I was influenced by all those people, but I was also influenced by some speakers that spoke into my life throughout the years. And one well-meaning, one well-meaning teacher taught us, hundreds of people, that, uh, that there were a lot of things that we just shouldn't take to God because they were too small for him to care about. Wow, yeah, wow. Um, I don't agree with that today. But as a kid, I struggled with that. I struggled with that. And the problem is it wasn't just him. It was a number of people all through growing up that would say, the things that I was praying about, you know, those are, those are too small. Don't take those to God. I really wanted a pet. I loved dogs. Anybody like dogs? Yeah. I love dogs. And, uh, and, and I wanted a puppy. And I wanted to have a pet. And, and I would pray for that. And I was told, no. That's too small for God. Um, I, was, I loved tools. I liked to, to work with my hands and, and do woodworking, and I would, I would pray for tools. <laughs> no, that's too small for God. And, and there were other things, too. But, but I learned then, the corollary was, I just shouldn't take small things in my life to God. And so what I struggled with was getting close to God as a young child and growing up. Uh, I struggled to take the details to God. I struggled to take the small things to God because God's big and I'm little. And, and the great thing is that God's big and he cares about little. And, and so we're going to continue to investigate Jesus this morning. And we're going to move from chapter 1 to chapter 2 in the book of John. The very end of chapter 1, Jesus is speaking to Nathaniel. And, and he's, he's seeing Nathaniel come to understand who he is and be amazed by the things that Jesus has told him. He's told him about some, some critical issues in his life, some things that only he was thinking, some things that, uh, that only God would know. And Jesus speaks into that. And then Nathaniel says, well, you're, you're the Messiah, basically. He identifies who Jesus is. 
And Jesus says, well, if you're impressed with that, you're going to see some really great things. So is Jesus only concerned with the big? Is he only concerned with the great? Or does God care about the little? And and so we're going to look at a passage today and an account of Jesus' life that shows Jesus isn't distant. He's not so beyond us. He's right here with us. He really cares about us. He cares about the little details. He cares about the things that we care about because he cares about us. And so I'd ask you to to turn with me to John chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look at verses 1 to 12 this morning. And uh, and it's on page 853. If you're joining in the the, uh, the Bible in the chair in front of you, and we just encourage you to, to take your Bible app or take the Bible and, and read along with me. John chapter 2, take a look at this, uh, this next account. It says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. And so right off the bat, we, we kind of have the time setting. When does this take place? The next day. We know that Jesus had just talked to Nathaniel. Some translations say the third day. And that goes back to the very first uh, disciples from John that came to Jesus. So we're in the third day now uh, from that period. The very next day after he talks to Nathaniel. We also have the, the kind of the setting. Cana. In Galilee, where did Jesus grow up? In Nazareth, which is in Galilee. So we're, we're in his home region. So this is where Jesus grew up. It's kind of his, his haunts. And why are they there? For a wedding, a celebration. And I think of weddings today, they're, they're a happy time. They're a joyous occasion. They're new beginnings. And, and many people love weddings and enjoy weddings. Uh, sometimes we plan for the wedding, but we need to plan for the marriage. And that's another message. <laughs> but this is a joyous time, joyous time. And in a Jewish wedding, weddings were like, this is the event of the season. And, and so they would, they'd come together and they didn't have a lot of abundance in, in Jewish times in the first century in an overtaxed region in a difficult economic season. But when a wedding came, now it's time to feast. It's time to party. This is, the, this is the exciting event of the season for a Jewish situation. There's going to be feasting and dancing and partying, and they're just enjoying the time together. And that's what's going on here. Jesus and his disciples are there. His mother's there. Verse 12, we see that his, his brothers and sisters are there. His whole family is there. There's probably a connection between him and his family in this wedding party. Maybe they're related. Maybe they're, they're very close friends. But look what happens at this wedding. Verse 3, the wine supply ran out. So they're, they're in the middle of this party, and the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. And uh, we, we've got a problem here. The, the wine runs out, and, and maybe to some of us, and, and I, when I looked at this, this, uh, this setting years ago and read this kind of for the first time, it's like, okay, the wine runs out. What's the big deal? How does that matter? I've been to lots of weddings. Some of them had wine. If, if that ran out, 
Okay, some people might be disappointed. There's going to be some disappointments, but no big deal, no real harm done, right? We can go on, we can celebrate the wedding. But in, in Jesus' time, wine was, it was a part of the festivities. It was, it was a part of the, the enjoyment. It was, it was a responsibility of the groom to provide for the whole celebration. And not just one day, often an entire week would go on for days and days and days. And if you didn't provide or you ran out, you've now neglected your social responsibility to the entire community. And it's, it's social shame. It was a disgrace publicly. And so they would be the ones that maybe if the, the wine runs out, everybody gets upset. Maybe this is going to be the very first fight for, a, for the new couple. I don't know. Uh, first century couples, I think, probably had disagreements too. Uh, but, but beyond that, they're never going to live this down. They're, the couple, their family, their parents, they're never going to live this down. They're always going to be the ones that ran out. And this, is, this was big for them. It might seem small for us, really, in the scope of things. It's a social issue. Eh, it's tiny. But on their hearts, it was big. And, uh, and they didn't prepare. They ended up in disaster. But Jesus' mom hears about it. So Mary hears about it. She jumps right in. And she tells Jesus, here's the problem. There's no more wine. They ran out. And, and I'm picturing in, Jesus, or in, in Mary's mind, she remembers the shepherds. She, she remembers the angels. She remembers those announcements, the prophetic word that was given to her early on. She remembers the, the time when Jesus at 12 years old was, was amazing the people of the temple. She looks at the son of 30 now and she knows there's more to him than, than what everyone else has seen. Yeah, he's probably maybe the best carpenter she's ever seen, <laughs> but there's more than that. And she knows he's the one to turn to. And, and Mary looks at Jesus and says, they're out of wine. It's all gone. And while that's just a statement, it's an implicit question. It's an implicit request. There's no more wine. The idea is, please fix it. <laughs> fix this problem. And look at what Jesus says in reply. But he told us... Verse 4, dear woman, that's not our problem. We're not the ones that planned this feast. We're not the ones that prepared for this or didn't prepare for this. It's not our problem. Jesus replies, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Why are you bothering me with this? It's not a big deal. Come on, mom. That's not why I'm here. It's not my purpose. It's kind of the idea. I'm, I'm not the local microbrew. I'm not a vending machine. I, it's their problem. And I love Mary's response next. She just says, she tells the, tells the servants, do whatever he asks. But I think Mary has faith in the, I'm going to ask Jesus. I'm going to turn to Jesus. And then she's got faith to say, okay, he's saying it's not a big deal, but I trust him. Do whatever he says. Mary doesn't tell him, tell Jesus what to do. She doesn't demand that he do something. She just simply trusts his heart. These are your friends too. 
I'm going to trust that you're going to do what's best. So whatever he tells you, if he tells you, do that. Follow that. What faith? What faith? Jesus is going to have a chance here to show old, become new. And, and we could dive into that concept. But we get to see a transformation take place. Take a look at verses 6, six to 7. Nearby, we're standing six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. And each holds 20 to 30 gallons. So it's not, not, not a water bottle. Uh, 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And, and so we have the first side of this request. They go ahead and fill them. Uh, but we've got these six jugs, 20 to 30 gallons. They aren't any old jugs. They're, they're like big open pots. They're not just any old pots. They're wash pots. Ceremonial washing. So as the, as the Jewish people would go by on their way to synagogue, they would do their washing so that they were prepared to worship God. So you've got pots that have water that probably has sit there for a while. It might be half full or, or less. And people have washed in them all week, maybe weeks. It's dirty. It's stale. It's probably got a scum ring around the top of the, the jug. And, and Jesus says, take those pots. 180 gallons worth of pots, fill them up. And, and I just got to put my head in the, the thoughts of the servants. Can you think, what, what might they be thinking? What do you want us to do? Are you crazy? We don't own those pots. The master of the feast doesn't own those pots. They're for washing. They're, they're not clean. What do you want us to do with this? But they fill the pots. And then look what Jesus says next in verse 8. Now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. The guy that's in charge of this whole affair, dip some out and go have him drink. And again, I'm thinking about those servants. Really? You want us to take that water and give it to the master of ceremonies? It wasn't clean drinking water. It wasn't water bottles. It wasn't something that was purified. In their time, the water really wasn't very good anyway. They often mixed a little wine with the water just to make it usable. And certainly water in general, not that great. Water out of a wash pot, not that great. You really want us to take it to him? The servants are probably thinking, I don't want to drink this water. <laughs> certainly don't want to take it to the master of the feast. But they, but they obey. They obey. The servants followed his instructions. How crazy. But yet, faith to follow. In, in chapter 1, we saw the decision to follow. And now we see that carried out. The disciples are with Jesus but these servants are willing to follow. They're willing to follow directions. Mary's willing to tell them to follow. And they do. See what happens. In verse 9, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine. So it was water. Now it's wine. When he had tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, 
though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over and he says, a host serves the best wine first. And he goes on to say, but you brought the best for now. And we'll take a look at that in a second. But what's taking place here, they obey and now the water is no longer water. It's wine. The servants see it right before their very eyes. It's transformed. And I think sometimes we, we can gloss over that because we might know the end of the story. Jesus is the Jesus of Easter. Jesus is the Jesus that rises Lazarus from the dead. He comes to life himself. Like he's got power over the grave. So water to wine? Yeah. But for the people here, they don't see Jesus as the grave robber. This is his very first sign. It's the very first time he's shown his power. For the disciples, they haven't seen it yet. They've heard about it. They've experienced time with him. They know who he is. But they haven't seen the power. And he transforms water to wine. No one can take one substance and turn it into another. I can't take H2O and turn it into C2H5OH. Can't do it. But Jesus has power over the very molecules. And he could take the dirty, stale water. I know this looks clean. The dirty, stale water, and he can turn it, he could turn it into fresh water. He could turn it into wine. He has power right down to the molecular level. Why? Why? Because nothing, nothing is beyond Jesus' authority. He's the creator. He has the very atoms under his control. Paul writes this. He says, he existed. So Jesus existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. And if Jesus is the creator, then he certainly has power over the molecules and atoms of creation. If he can put the galaxy into space, he can turn water to wine. If he can do, if he can create people, if he can create animals, if he can create all the vegetation, he can change and recreate water. And that's exactly what we see here. Jesus makes the impossible possible. Even in a wedding feast, even with something as small as a social mistake, Jesus did the impossible. Not to advance his ministry. Not to make himself look amazing. What The master of the feast didn't have a clue this happened. The other people there didn't know it happened. It was private. But Jesus did the impossible because he cared about the people that he was helping. And so, take a look at what the, uh, the master says to the bridegroom. He, he tastes this water. He, he sees it's now good wine. And he goes right to the bridegroom and he calls him over. And in verse 10, he says, A host always serves the best wine first. There's the template. That's the way we do it. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive stuff. I think uh, sometimes that happens at bars. The, the, the good wine comes out first, and then when the senses are dead, now the cheap stuff comes out, or the watered-down stuff comes out. And the, 
so we can keep it going longer. But the master says, you didn't do that. This is the best I've ever tasted type of thing. You, that was good, what we had before, but this is best. The concept of Jesus, when Jesus shows up, when Jesus answers the need, when he does uh, the result, it's best. The struggle is it doesn't always look best to us. But if we trust Jesus has it all in his authority, we know he will do the best for us. And in this circumstance, he does the best. He gives them the best. And I think about that. It wasn't the best wine in just a, a little bit of a sip for the, the master of the ceremonies. It was for 180 gallons. Wow. What a party they could have. How long did that party go for? I don't know. One week was normal. Two, three, I'm not sure. It depends on how many people were there. But Jesus gave them the best and he gave them the best now. Look at what John says in the next verse. It kind of wraps this all up, brings it down to the, to the results. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. So it wasn't widely publicized. <laughs> Probably because who's going to go to the master's ceremonies and say, we ran out. Who's going to tell everybody else there, we ran out. Who's going to tell him, do you know what you just drank out of? But Jesus' disciples see it. And the servants saw the transformation right before their very eyes. And their faith increases. Their faith grows. And they realize they can draw in that Jesus cares about them. And he cares about their cares, whether anybody sees it or not. Jesus cares. And that nothing is beyond his authority that he can recreate down to the very molecule of creation, down to the very atom. He cares about the very details of our lives. Nothing's too small for him. A puppy wouldn't have been too small for him. And I got one someday. I had to get married first, but I got the puppy. <laughs> Jesus cares about our cares. He makes the impossible possible. And the disciples believe. And I picture at this point... We've spent time with Jesus. We've connected with Jesus. We, we've seen him for a grand total of three days. But we're starting to get a feel for who he is. And we've identified him as, as Messiah. And now we see it. It's real. It, we see it big. He can, he can turn water to wine. He can do anything. And they believe. And their faith grows. And they deepen their relationship with Jesus. And Jesus had told Nathaniel, you're going to see even greater things. And boy, did he. He saw greater things, even in the little details. Jesus cared about what mattered to the people. And he still cares about what matters to us. And God, God isn't great just because nothing is too bad big for him. And I know that's what, that was what I thought as a, as a young child growing up and, 
into my teens and, and adulthood. God is great because he can do anything. God is great because he can do the big. But God isn't great just because he can do the big. Not, because, not just because nothing is too big for him, but God is great because nothing is too small for him. Because he cares about every area of our life. We're called to trust him and to follow him. To trust him for the details, to trust him for the big, to trust him for the little, to rest in his arms and to trust him for the results, to trust him for the outcomes. And we can know that nothing is too small for Jesus' care. Nothing's too small for him. Personally, I struggled with that. I struggled with it for a long time, for I thought God looked bigger because he could do big things. I focused on the big request. I'd focused on the big next step. I'd focus on looking for, for God to really show up. But as I started to realize that God cares about the little details, my God got big. So he wasn't there just, just waiting for me to do something big so that he could bless that or waiting for me to ask for something big so he could show up big. No, he cares about every detail of my life and he's right there with me every day. I don't start my day and pray to God and say, uh, help me today to go out and tackle everything. I, I pray to God and I step up with him and say, thank you for being with me today, whatever comes. I know you're there with me. I know you're here for me. And, and in, in recent years, I've began to enjoy just relating the little stuff to God. And in that, he's become bigger. My faith has grown greater. We got to see this in the last couple of days. God show up in the little things. And a few of us were in Atlanta this week for a, for a conference. And, and I got to tag along with a couple of the pastors here at Berean and, and be a part of a trip. And, and so we, we drove to Atlanta. And, and our van that we were running in was just purring right along, just running really good for the first four hours. And then that dreaded thing, like a, an engine light, starts flashing on the dashboard. And, and, and so we pulled off the highway. We stopped. And, and sure enough, some potential larger issues were developing quickly. And we need to make a, a shift. But the exit, right before the exits, when that flashing started, at that exit, right off that exit, it's an auto zone. They had the tools to help us plug in and find out what codes, what issues were going on. One mile away was a rental car place. <laughs> we didn't know we'd need any of that. We didn't plan for any of that. We didn't get on the GPS and say, well, where's the next rental car place? Where's the next auto parts store. God showed up in the details. He cares about the, the details. And I also want to say that doesn't mean he fixes all the problems because in the trip, you can ask, we've got stories. <laughs> the trip wasn't over then, but we enjoyed the conference and we got there and God provided in every step of the way God provided because Jesus cares about the things that we're concerned about. Why does he care about that? Because Jesus cares about us. 
He loves us. He wants us to grow deeper in love with him. And he cares about our cares. And we can take anything to him and we can, we can step into life with him. And he might have a bigger purpose for us that he's working out that we can't see. He may have a different way than we think should be the way it happens. He might have a different answer than we want. He might be doing far more than we could ever imagine. But he's right there with us every step of the way. And we can know he does care about every detail in every part of our life because he loves and cares about us. He cares about our cares. And as I've leaned into God in this in my life, in the little things, I've gotten larger faith. I've had a closer relationship with God. I've got greater peace because He know he's there in all the details. And he's working them out for the best in my life, for my growth and my development and in the best in his plan. And I can trust him for that. Even if it doesn't look good at the time, I can trust him that he's got it and it's all taken care of in his plan. We can trust in Jesus. We can trust with our whole lives. We can trust a God who can take water and turn it to wine. We can trust in a God that can raise from the dead. We can trust in a God who is over everything and has created the universe and still cares about the very atoms of our life. We weren't meant to hold it all up. We weren't meant to fix all our own problems. We weren't meant to carry that burden. Jesus came and loves us. Jesus cares about our lives. He cares about our details. He wants us to be with him. And it starts with, with choosing a relationship with him. Trusting him. In the, in, the, in the very first chapter, the disciples chose to follow Jesus. And here they get to see Jesus show up big in life. And so Jesus came for us and he loves us and he lives for us. And God wanted to be close to us. And so we were separated to God because we were imperfect, because we were sinned. We've sinned and there's a gulf between man and God. But Jesus came to bridge that gulf. And he stood in our place and he paid our price. And he gives us that forgiveness that we sung about this morning. And we can come to him because, because Jesus gave us the bridge to God and we can be with God forever. He cares about our lives. No one is too small for God. No thing is too small for God. No care is too small for God. And he wants us to give our lives to him and to trust him with all of it from forgiveness throughout every step of our life. He wants us to trust him completely because nothing is too small for Jesus' care. So what if, what if we trusted our whole lives to Jesus? What if, not just in the big things, but in the little things, we brought God into our life? He's already there. What if we acknowledge that? What if we ask him to be part of every decision 
every detail? What if we had the perspective of of having Jesus as a part of every part of our life? No hidden parts. No things squirreled away. You know, sometimes I got to thinking as a young person, well, I'll handle the small stuff. I'll go to God for the big stuff. What if we ask God to be a part of all stuff? As we entrust to God both our big and our little, I believe we'll grow closer to him. Our face will grow bigger and we'll see how big and great God really is. And we will grow deeper in love with the Savior who has given everything for us. Would you stand and pray with me today? Dear Heavenly Father, God, I I thank you for the privilege of knowing that you sent Jesus for me. That you sent him for us. That you love us so much that you took care of our biggest problem. Separation from you. That you want us to be with you. That you want to know us and, and know every part of us. And that you want us to trust you for that. God, if there's someone here this morning that hasn't ever made the decision to follow you, that hasn't asked you for your forgiveness, I I pray that you would just work in their heart today and that they would look to you right now in prayer and say, thank you for sending Jesus for me. Thank you. Thank you for sending him to step into my place, to pay my price, to die for me. Thank you for your forgiveness. God, I want to give you my life. I want to follow you. Help me to take the next step in salvation and a life of disciple. God, if we've made that decision, Lord, I pray that this morning we would, we would have your help to look to you for everything, to give to you every part of our life, that we wouldn't hold anything back, that we wouldn't push anything away and, and, and think it's too small, but, but that we would see you show up big in the little. God, help us to be willing to share with you, to open our heart, to open our life, to open the doors inside and let you shine into every corner and crevice. God, help us to simply live your character, to live your commands, not looking for you to fix all the problems, but looking to you to be there with us in every problem. Turning to you with every care, with every frustration, with every temptation, knowing that you have the power we need and in you we can step forward. Help us to grow close to you, deeper in love with you, and to see you in a bigger way as you show up in the little. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.